0: So how's everybody doing this morning? Good to see everybody. Who all went off for spring break this week and had a little vacation? Nobody? Well, come on, raise your hands. Okay, I got a few people. All right. Well, uh, it's weird because spring break and then, bam, you got Easter. So it's like you talk about a, fluctua- a fluctuation in, uh, in people. But uh, my family, we went, uh, us and the Llewellyns, we went to uh, Rusk. And uh, nobody got admitted while we were there. I met some crazy people on the road. I think. How did you get outside? You know, but they were driving cars and stuff. Even so, yeah. Thought I was gonna have to have a confrontation on the side of the road, but uh, it kind of freaked me out a little bit. But hey, that's what gas pedals are for. Sometimes it's best just to evacuate the premises. So while we're up there, you know, we uh, I thought we well, were going to Rusk's. We're gonna ride the train. So what are we gonna do for the rest of the week? Man, we ended up going up there and zip lining. They had this place where you could zip line, and I guarantee you they're making lots of money off of that, but it was fun. It was funny to watch Cami. You know, you get proud of your kids because Cami, she's so little. Callie, I had to beg Callie to do everything when she was little. I mean, I had to try to bribe her. How, how many of you remember how Callie was? Everybody loves Callie, but y'all remember how Callie was, right? Lake Tejas, the slide, the slide of doom that's like 10 foot tall, you know. Come on, Callie, go down the slide. And back then, I would just like push her off, you know, and then she wouldn't talk to me for months and... I just came to realize that, you know, Callie's not going to do what Callie doesn't want to do. You know, as long as it's not a rebellion issue, I won't beat her or, you know, give her a hard time. But, uh, you know, that's just Callie, you know. But Cammy, man, I, just to watch her get on this zip line, I mean, it's high. You're, you know, a story or two high and going across a pond. And they had these catfish in there, and they would feed them. And they would say, you know, watch out for the piranhas, you know. And the kids are going over the, the fish screaming, oh, God, it's piranhas, you know. And uh, so we did that, and... Then they had a drive-through uh, safari. We went through up at uh, something Cherokee Trace or something like that. It was beautiful, and it had all the animals, and you could drive through. and I still got slobber from a little uh, Highlander Scottish bull, you know, all over the side of my vehicle. Uh, a camel. He would come in here and stick his head in your car and grab your bag of pie, pot- and he would he would take the bag, grab it, dump the popcorn out. Then he, I mean, I mean the popcorn, but the uh, the feed. And then he would eat the bag. So, I mean, it's just, it was crazy. So we had an eventful week. And uh, needless to say, I didn't get really time to sit down much and read and study. And I'm like, man, I should have had William preach again after I get back for spring break. But, but the Lord began to speak to me. You know, I, I don't know. We, the last day, we kind of settled down. And the, the Llewellyns, uh, you know, Tina, she likes to take the kids geocaching and apparently in every cemetery in the United States, there's a geocache, you know, where you, they give you quarters, you go find it, and there's a little ticker tape in there, you can sign it, and, you know, and say, I was here, or whatever, and uh, so well, that day, you know, me and Christy said, well, I'm just, we're just going to hang out a little bit, and I'm going to read, and, and uh, what Christy and I ended up doing is we ended up driving to Alto about 10 miles away and driving around to look at the old place where we used to live, and my mom's family was from Alto, and I went all of fourth grade uh, in Alto, Texas, and I went all of eighth grade. And it's funny, because we go there, the whole campus is still on one site, and it's twice the size as it was when I went there, uh, when, you know, back in the 80s. So we drove by uh, my great-grandmother's old place, and uh, we lived there, had some good memories there. Uh, it, was, it was pretty bad shape. Uh, then I drove back to old Palestine church, where Dad, it was dad's first church. Uh, that he was the pastor of, and, and was just looking out, looking at there, and just remembering. We had a little beagle dog that would just run around all day long chasing rabbits, and we'd play. And it had, this had, this church, this church probably has the largest cemetery that I've ever personally seen. You know, next to a church, and they still got plenty of spaces. If you know, if any of you want to move your membership there, uh, but but uh, and this church was established in 1840. Church was. Dad always got these historical marker churches. Yeah, it's like God called Dad to historical markers to go mess up their historical traditions. You know, like, here, you go mess this place up. They've done been confirmed as historical. We don't want them to stay that way. And, uh, and, I, and I looked around, and I looked at the hill, and I just, man, I had so many memories come back. And you know, what we, and, and because, I don't know, some of us somewhere in our life, we heard somebody say, I wished I just got saved and I didn't go to church before that, or I wished I didn't grow up in church. How many of you have ever said that? I wish I didn't grow up in church. I know half of you have because I've heard you say it. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I wish I didn't grow up in church because some of us went through religious phases and we went through legalistic periods and we went through some denominational hard-headedness. But you know what? When I walked up to that church and I just looked, it still got the old, I don't know what color stained glass that is. It's weird. It's like a smear deal. I don't know what the heck. Yeah, it looked kind of... It was like a weird collage. It was like a smear. It wasn't like your traditional stained glass where it was a picture. It's just like a big bunch of colors, like the Easter Bunny threw up on it. And, you know, this, this weird, weird stained glass. And, and I looked out at the cemetery, which was there since the 1840s. And uh, we used to have all these legends, you know, that there was... We were always looking in this big monument, one for guns and, you know, and skeletons and stuff, you know. But I just remember, you know, all the memories from that place, the good and the bad. And I remember, you know, but what was funny is when I walked up on that place, I I, I didn't go automatically to all the bad memories, to all the church struggles, and all the hateful people that I remember. I literally heard a church singing, uh, oh, goodness gracious, just as I am. I don't know what it is about that song. Y'all know my old, Willie, you know, Willie Nelson plays that better than anybody, just as I am. He doesn't even sing. He just plays it on the guitar. And, but I remember, I just walked up to the front of the steps, and there's those two doors there, and I could hear people of all ages, because, you know, we didn't have children's church back then. We were obe- obedient Christian children back then. They didn't have to put us out of the building. Amen. Everybody say Amen. Yeah. Love and discipline, same thing. But I remember just I remember those old chairs and those pews, and I remember I remember going there at first, and there was you know just a few old people that were wanted to be a retirement church. They didn't want no new people there coming there and messing up their stuff. But I remember after a year, dad being there, being like 300 plus people out, and this church is out in the middle of nowhere. Started with 12, Started with 12 and ended up with what 350 or yeah, I mean just blew up in a year. And I looked out, and I, saw, and I saw all that Dad had done is still there, the picnic tables that Dad built. And there was a barbecue pit out there. That, did you build that? Anyway, but, but Dad Dad knew how to draw a crown. Feed them. Feed the heck out of them. They're going to show up, right? And we'd have old-fashioned days. We'd have all these days. But I saw these tables, and, and they're still there. And there, there it was a barbecue pit. And I saw that dead gum addition he put on that old historical church. How dare he, you know? How dare we add to the church to make room for more people? Because this is a historical marker, you know? And, and, I, and, and one of the things that just kind of struck me was that, you know what? I want to have a church that's got more live folks in it than there is dead folks outside for one thing. Amen? I want to have a church that's known for the life inside it, not because of the death surrounding it. That's what I want to have a church for. That's just a freebie. That's not what my message is about. But I think, too, of how many, how many pastors have been through that church, you know? How many times has that church been taken from twelve to a hundred to two hundred to three hundred? I doubt it's ever been to three. It's only been to three hundred once. But how many how many pastors have come through there and cycled and cycled and cycled and cycled, and, cycled and, the, and the numbers go up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down? You know, it's just crazy. And the deal is, is a lot of denominations are set up to do that. You know, I mean, I'm not I'm not sitting here waiting for the next best offer so I can leave here and go to a greater thing. I'm I'm looking at God. You know. I want to be here till I die. Because church is more than just a service on Sunday. It's a community. It is a family. It is a body. You know, we're not, we're not here just to, just to come and, you know, be rebuked on Sundays if you need it or to be encouraged on Sundays if you need it. I mean, we're here to live life together and to be together and build relationships. And I think of all the relationships in my life who have come and gone due to, you know, whatever. And I, and I think it's kind of sad that, you know, we can't just, you know, that, that a lot of people, they don't see churches. This is, this is my kingdom family that I'm going to live with forever and ever. And that when I leave, my kids are going to grow up, you know. And so we say, you know, I, I wished I wouldn't, I wished I just got saved and learned all the right things right off the bat. And then I wonder, how many things have we not got right yet? Because in the, in the midst of all that, in the midst of this, you know, traditional and religion and legalism and all that stuff, there was some legitimate people that loved God with all their soul, with all their heart, and with all their mind. And if it wasn't for those people, where would I be today? If it wasn't for those little blue-haired ladies, you know, that used to love on me every Sunday and, you know, and teach Sunday school and tell me that Jesus loves you. You know, when I, when I found myself in the pig pen, If nobody would ever told me, then what would I have known to go off of? I'd have just had whatever I know, because what you know is what you know. And uh, so I just, this morning I just began to read and I began to think about the life, the life that we try to denounce and the life that we complain about and the life that we say, God, I wish this would have never happened. But you know what? If you were born again today in your flesh, okay, a physical birth today, God would have planned your life out just like it happened. Because you'd have been the same knucklehead coming into the earth as you would have been however many years ago that you were born. And you know that things happen in life. Jesus says, you're going to have tribulation, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days. And the point of life isn't to live a life without troubles or struggles. The point of life is to believe and have a hope. And we, we were coming home, and we were, we were uh, Christy was just, you know, we were trying to teach our kids what good country music was, you know, not this crap they listen to today. And she went to Alabama, and Alabama apparently came out with a gospel album last year. But we were listening to uh, Because He Lives. You know what's funny about hymns? The best hymns out there were written in a time of pain, in a time of turmoil. It is well. Was written by a man who lost half his family on a boat going to England. After that, he loses the rest of his family, pretty much in a house fire. And he wrote that song when the captain came. They were cruising across the ocean, and the captain came and said, "This is about where the ship went down with your what was his daughters, daughters and his wife." And he went out there and just began to pray and penned that song. It is well. When peace like a river. But because he lives, the chorus goes this. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. You know, I said, God, I mean, you know, sometimes we down and diss the old hymnals. But there's some good hymns, okay? I think the church has thrown the baby out with the bathwater. We need to get rid of religion and legalism. But you know what? We have a heritage of people who got us here. We didn't just get up one day and discover the church and say, hey, let's do it and all this other stuff. There were people that led us. To this point in our lives. And we need to hold on to the things that connect us all to the kingdom of God. And the things that are good. You know, James, I believe it says that religion that is pure religion. That is from love and, you know, righteousness is good religion. But I was listening to that because he lives. I can face tomorrow because Jesus lives. And you know what? It's not because he lives. You know, to next Sunday's Easter and Jesus is alive. Amen. I mean, everybody... Jesus is known for being alive, all right? I mean, how many church billboards has that been on that Jesus is alive? Tons of them. Jesus is alive. Most everybody knows that. But here's the deal. Is he alive in you? Because unless he is alive in you, the fact of him being alive does no good for your tomorrow. But if he is alive in you, you can face tomorrow. Not just the eternity of, of, of a heaven or hell, but you can get up tomorrow knowing that the power of the resurrection resides in your mortal body. Amen? And then, and unless we can sing these words, you know, uh, Bill Gaither's wife wrote this song when they were going, they had lost a child. They were going through persecution. I don't know all the details, but they were going through a bad time of their life, and she began to pray, and God just gave her this song to write down. I didn't know that song was that young. I figured this was a really, really old song. This song was wrote in 1974 when I was one year old. But because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Before Because he lives, all fear is gone. Can you face tomorrow? Is all your fear gone? You see, the Bible says that the fear is not of God. Amen. God is a God of peace, and we, God is wanting to get us to a point where we can face tomorrow. God is wanting us to be at a place where all fear is gone. In other words, we don't walk in fear, but we walk in faith despite the situations that we find ourselves in. And because I know He holds the future, life is worth living. Is your life worth living? Is your life worth living? Because if you focus on the hell and the trauma and all the drama that that we find ourselves in, if that is your focus, your life will not be worth living. But if you know who holds tomorrow, if you can walk fearlessly in the faith that God has given us, each according to, to, to as He has given, then we can say, hey, I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to not walk in fear. I'm going to know who holds the future. And it's going to get me through this. Amen? But the thing is, is this, is I, is I just feel like God wants us to say that we need to glean the good things from the bad times in our life. We need to glean the good things from the bad times. Because things don't just happen without a reason. Donnie West taught me this. Things don't just happen for a reason. When you get into a discussion with Donnie West, it doesn't stop at, okay, I'm all good with it. No, let's dive deeper to find out what the heck your problem actually is. You hear what I'm saying? Because because God doesn't God the Bible says disciplines them that he loves and it's a sign that there is children so if if the case be, because here's the deal, there's several cases. What we need to do is we just need to quit writing things off that they're going in my life. We need to understand why is this going on in my life. We need to quit addressing the what, and we need to say, God, why? First of all, do I need to repent? Second of all, are you just still working on me to make me what I ought to be? Amen? Remember that song? And I mean, what is it that's going on in my life? But we need to seek God for answers, to know What do you want out of me, God? What are you trying to do? And so many people, we just write things off and explain things away off of bad theology because we've heard somebody say something on TV. Oh, if you're a Christian, you'll never go through hard times. You'll never go through troubles. And let me tell you something. God loves you, but he's still working on you. He wants to sanctify you. And don't think he'll let a little drama in your life to conform you to the likeness of Christ. Jesus didn't get off easy, and Paul says to know Him. And the power of His resurrection is to know His suffering. The fellowship of His suffering. And so I just, I just real quickly want to read a couple of scriptures, and we, we've heard all these before. And, and my point today isn't just, look, life, life is crappy, just get used to it. That's not my point, okay? Because if that is, your, some of your outlook is that. And, and it shouldn't be. Because everything you'll see in a moment that happens in our life is to bring us to faith, is to bring us to hope, is to bring us to completeness, is to bring us to maturity. 1 Peter five fourteen. Beloved. Is that beloved or beloved? I think when you're reading the Bible, it's beloved. That's the way it's always on the radio. Beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Okay, are you be surprised when fiery trials happen? And what are they for? To test you. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. And what did Paul say about the fellowship of Christ's sufferings to know the power of his resurrection, amen? That you may also receive and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Mind your own business. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. So there is suffering for the right reasons, and there's suffering for the wrong reasons. And Peter says, don't suffer for doing evil, suffer for doing good. It says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is the time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let us who suffer, say what? According to God's will. Huh? Let us who suffer according to God's will. Y'all hearing me? Let us who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Wow. You know, Satan didn't have permission to mess with Job and to who gave him the permission. God. Now, do you think Satan and God had the same motives? Do you think Satan's motive is to mature you and make you complete, lacking in nothing, looking like Christ? No. Do you think Satan's uh, uh, intentions for Joseph were the same that God had for Joseph? No. But what, God, what, what Satan meant for evil, God used for good. Amen? Amen. You know what evil has happened in your life or what what pain and suffering and things have you endured that God has used to bring you to where you are? Because you are the life you've had up to this point. Your understanding of so many things. You know, there's things that I can understand about other people because I've experienced those pains. I've experienced those hurts. If I had no idea what they were going through, how can I even begin? to sympathize and empathize with those people and begin to even be concerned about what they're going through. You know, there's things that William has gone through, and I know what, if, if you have lost a child, I've never lost a child, but William's lost a child. Joey has lost a child. Sidney's lost a child. There's several people here. And so if, if, if you've lost a child, I'm not going to come up to you and tell you what it's like to lose a child, but I know some people who can understand and can help you through that. But it says here that the will of God's will, to, it says, suffer according to God's will. God allows suffering in our life. He allows it. It's, it's by His permission. But, so, but I mean, across, there, there's this big gambit, though. We need, to, we need to quit simplifying things, and we really need to begin to understand that when things happen in our life, first of all, am I just getting a butt whipping here because I'm being hard-headed and rebellious and need to repent? Or is there some character issues? It kind of goes the same lines. Well, there's some character issues that God's working in my life. There's some things that God wants me to understand. James, chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith... Now, how do you test your faith? You see if you got any. I'm going through heck. What God says to do isn't convenient. Do I do what God does says to do, or do I do what the world says to do? If I have faith, then it will pass the test by me walking in that faith, what God says to do in this situation. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God wants you to be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Nothing. Amen? So, so there's reasoning behind all this, this, these things we go through in life. Romans 5, 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have been crucified with our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith and to the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Amen? You know, if you, if you lose that hope, then you're in trouble. You you know, how many of you know that you will endure things if you have a reason to endure it? Some of you need to get anchored in the reason of Jesus. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. It says, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces... Endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us because He lives. Amen? So do you see all these scriptures? Pain and suffering produces character that God wants to produce in our lives. He wants to change us. He wants to sanctify us. And, and so and what we do, though, is usually when things go bad, we just say, oh, the devil's attacking me. But we need to sit down and say, why? We need to start asking why, okay? But you know what? We don't want to ask why because we don't want to deal with what's going on in our hearts, we don't want to deal with what God's really trying to address, so we just try to put a general blanket covering and a, a very shallow theological understanding of God and how He interacts with His people. But the thing is, is until you address the why, until you address God, what do you seek to fulfill in my life, you're going to continue on this crazy cycle of what's going on. And so we find ourselves in Second Corinthians. And we're talking about Paul here. I mean, how many of you have respect for Paul? Paul, I mean, he penned so much of the New Testament. Oh, I love Paul. I love his wit. I love his sarcasm even because Paul gets pretty witty. If you sit down and take time to see the things that he says, it's like, wow, this dude can bust rhymes in the, in the Old Testament style. You know I mean? He's, he's pretty awesome. You know, yesterday I locked my keys in my car uh, before we were going to the train. And Dad's already Dad right now is imagining how I would respond, I know. But you know what happened? I was sitting there drinking my coffee, I went up, I tried to open the door, and I looked in there, and my keys are in there. I've never done this in my life. I don't carry a clicker, they're too big, and they're annoying. I like my girls to all wait at the door while I'm trying to unlock the door, you know, it's just, teaches them discipline and endurance and all that good stuff. No, I just don't like that clicker, it annoys me. So, um, so I go up, and I'm like, oh goodness, I gotta be on the, I gotta be back to get on the train in an hour. And I'm sitting there. And then the lady, the lady was helpful. She immediately calls somebody. And, uh, of course, 50 minutes later, after they were supposed to be there in 10 minutes, they didn't show up. So she calls another guy. He shows up. And what's funny is he's the uncle of a guy I went to school with. It was, just, it was amazing because it ties in with all this experience I had. But, uh, but you know what, I, I never got angry. I never, I never flipped out. William's impressed. You know, and I'm like, you know, because I'm just... I'm tired of just ranting and raving like a fool when there's no point in it, you know? I'm like, God, what do, what do you want me to do? And I don't like not being in control, you know? I don't like not having the keys to my truck because that, I lose all the power to that, you know what I mean? And, and God just wants Chad to say, hey, because I live, you can face tomorrow, amen? Amen. Don't worry about fear. Don't worry about little petty stuff. Enjoy life. Take the pressure off yourself and just do what I've called you to do. And uh, and remember that you're only capable because I'm with you, not because you're good enough, smart enough, and dug dadgum people like you. Amen? But because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And so we see in 2 in Corinthians, Paul Paul writes, because the Scripture tells us, there were four letters written to the church at Corinth. And, uh, and they were always, you know, God, guys, get your stuff together, you know? And Paul, Paul was the first and his little missionary crew that established a trip to Corinth and established a church and shared the gospel, brought the good news of truth to the people. And he's gone, and now there's other people that are, that are claiming they have the gospel, and it doesn't line up with the truth of Paul's gospel. And, um, and so Paul's writing these people to say, listen, these people, what they were doing, they were coming in there saying, here's the deal. They actually, you'll see here in a minute, they were better speakers. They were eloquent they were impressive people. They, 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 had, they, they, they convinced the church that they had some kind of a pedigree that made them apostles. And, um, and this is what they said about Paul. It says, "For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak." Dang. This is what they're saying about Paul. Paul's addressing these accusations, and he says, "In his speech of no account." So, Paul, you know, I'm, I'm, that's surprising about Paul, you know, because I think his letters are pretty awesome. But they said he couldn't speak that well. And it says, and this is what Paul says let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present as well. Paul took care of business, amen? And then in verse 11, 5, he says, Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. He calls them super apostles. says, Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. And so, basically, they're, they're saying, well, these people, you know, here's the deal. The people that Paul was opposing here, they were boasting in themselves. They were boasting in their speech, and they were boasting in their pedigrees, and all these other things. And, and so Paul, you, you'll see here, Paul says, he says this, I'm going to speak like a fool for a minute. And what he's saying is, is, I'm going to speak foolishly and boast in my flesh compared to these people. Compared to them. He says, I'm going to compare myself to them in the flesh, which is foolish. And then in the end, he says this. He says, in my weakness, God is strong. He says, my flesh doesn't mean anything. He said, but just to justify y'all and show y'all an example here. In, uh, in verse 11... Verse 21, it says, To my shame I must say, we were too weak for that. He says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast that as, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they the servants of Christ? He goes, I'm a better one. Now he's, he's, he's saying, I'm talking like a fool. He's comparing his flesh to their flesh, but he turns around in a minute. He says, are they servants of Christ? He says, there are all these other good things, but are they servants of Christ? He says, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. That's thirty-nine. Five times he got lashed thirty-nine times. Five times. And that doesn't count all the other countless beatings. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I, and no, he wasn't smoking dope, so don't use that to justify marijuana. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger in the sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardships through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. This dude's like a Navy SEAL. And apart from the other things, there is the, listen, apart from all that, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Good grief. That's like two sides of a coin. Sometimes I'm like, I'd rather just starve and all that stuff because I know what that's like. I know it won't kill me. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of these things that show my weakness. And he goes and so he says, I'm going to boast in my weakness. He says, If you just want to go me versus them, he says, I outserve those guys. I've paid the price. I've suffered with Christ. I've done the work. They ain't done none of this. Those bunch of lying, you know, split tongued super apostles. Listen to all that he went through. You think Paul ever asked himself, does Jesus really love me? Do you think Paul had a hope to endure all these things? Do you think Paul ever wanted to give up? You ever ever feel like Paul ever felt like flaking out a little bit? And walking out on the church? You know, John says, they went out from us that it might be made known that they were not of us. Why do people leave? Because they ain't with you. It said, for if they would have continued with us, they would no doubt have been with us. Verse 12, I must go on boasting, though, there is nothing to be gained by it. In other words, there's nothing to be gained by me saying all these things. I'm just trying to, he's trying to show them that his flesh against their flesh, he outdoes them. But he says, and he goes on this, I will go on into visions and revelation of the Lord. And now he says, I know a man, but he's talking about himself because he's trying to divide his flesh from his spiritual side. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. He goes, I don't know what the heck was happening. He says, I just had an experience with God. He says, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. I just read that. "And And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter on behalf of this man i will boast in other words he's talking about his flesh his experiences he says but on my he says but on my uh behalf i will not boast except in my weaknesses he says though if i should not wish to boast I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. He says, I can boast of myself and be truthful. He said, but it's pointless. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited. Listen to this. So to keep me from being becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. So what he's saying is this. I've had some great revelations, but to keep me from being conceited, a thorn was given me in the flesh. What? God, why would you do this to Paul? This is one of your best batters, your best, you know, sh- you know, free throw guys. He says, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Now, y'all remember Job, who approached... God, to get permission to harass Job, Satan himself. He says, to harass me to keep me from being conceited. So Paul, Paul didn't just say, man, I'm being harassed. Oh well, it is well with my soul. He went to God and he said, God, what's going on here? God says, I don't want you to be. Now listen, if there was a potential for him being conceited, what was the root problem that God was trying to deal here? Pride. Pride. <laughs> if it wasn't there, I mean, why why would you try to deal with something that's not there? It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Paul goes to God and says, God, please let this go away. Please let this go away. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. No, you're going to keep this, but my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see that need for Jesus there? You see if we get to a point we think we got it, then the power of Christ is not going to rise up in our lives. We we have to be so dependent upon Jesus. You see that's how our flesh dies. That's how we rise up. That's how the new man rises up because we claim that our flesh can't do it. We need Jesus in our lives. And when you need Jesus in your life, you're going to seek Jesus in your life. You're going to make all your decisions based on Jesus in your life. You're going to be hungry for Jesus in your life when you realize that is the only bread, that's the only water that's going to cure the hunger, the desire, and the thirst. So it's for the sake of Christ then, I am... Content, content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. So last night I thanked God for every crappy situation I've been in in my life. Because without them... I would be a lot worse off. Without them, I would not be the person man to today. You know, if I wouldn't have lived in church and saw the, 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 the bad side, the unbiblical side of church, the unChrist-like side of church, I would have no desire or thought to pursue the Christlike side of church. You see, now we still have so much resistance. We have unfaithfulness. We have bad theology. We have shallow thinkingness. We have unrepentant that 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 resides in the church worldwide. But you know what? I, like Paul, I have a hope and I have a belief and I have a faith that if God wants it to happen, it can happen. He's called me to do it and I'm going to call everyone else that will go with me to make this church come to pass despite everything that I've ever seen. But if I haven't seen all the things that I have seen, I wouldn't know the reverse side and the reverse effects of what God has called me to do. wouldn't know it. I wouldn't know. And I wouldn't be able to see it coming when it comes, but now I know that, hey, He lives, I can face tomorrow. He lives, this church can face tomorrow. Amen? He lives, other people can face tomorrow. And, and, and so here's, here's the thing. Quit bellyaching about all the things that you've been through in life. Say, thank you, God, that you put me through these things in life. No matter how disparaging... No matter how hard, no matter how stressful, and whatever you're going through right now, quit looking at the storm and look at the, and look at the one who controls the storm. Look at the one who can change the storm. Look at the one who can speak the storm to quit moving in your life. And trust Him. God wants you to trust Him. God wants you to look like Him. God wants you to have a hope in Him no matter what's going on in your life. And you know what? The stuff we go through is, is, to, is to bring endurance in your life. But you know what? If you're not enduring it, you're not building endurance. If you're, and here's the deal. If you don't have a hope, you're not going to get through it. If you're just trying to muscle through it, you're going to kill yourself. And you're going you're to burn in the ashes. We need to trust God. How many of you are going through trials of some sort right now? Lift your hands most of you you got two options you can trust god you can rejoice you can you can say hallelujah and praise god that i've got god in the midst of this thing or you can you can but here's the deal to be content with weakness insults hardships persecution and calamities because that's how god builds his people that's how we grow that's how we learn. That's how we empathize with others. And, you know, and, and if there was nothing for God to save us from, what the heck would we need him for? If there was nothing to need God for, then what, would, what good would he do us? But God has put us in the perfect situation to teach us and to develop us our need for him. And what I'm saying is this, is if you've got an issue, seek why. Seek why. Deal with the root issues or, or, or seek God. It, it may be punishment. It may be something else. But, but seek God and say, God, reveal to me. The Bible says if we ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to us. Amen? If we ask in faith. What that means is when you get the answer, are you going to do what he tells you to do? That means, God, I want an answer from you. And he's like, will you do what I ask you to do? How many times have you asked that somebody, Dad? William? Mickey? Everybody wants, your, everybody wants an answer, but they don't want to do what the answer entails according to the Word of God. So today, you know, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? You know, just quit, blame, just quit randomly blaming things on Satan, but really seek God. I believe this, nothing happens just for whatever. I don't have this case, sarah, sarah, whatever it will be. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. You know what? Satan Satan's dream is, is for, for you to just fizzle out. Satan's dream is for this church to, to just look the same 40 years later. More dead people outside than there is on the inside. But you know what? God wants you to be complete, lacking in nothing. But God wants you to just quit... He don't, he don't want you to ex, just accept things. He wants you to know why they're happening and be content that you can trust Him in the midst of these happenings. Amen? So what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? I believe some of you just need to say, God, I'm going to trust you and be content. Some of you may be angry at God and mad at God because things ain't going the way you want to be. Well, you know, like, John, like God told Jonah, does it do you good to be angry? Because if at least you have a gourd, you better be good, because God will zap that too and knock that off your head like he did Jonah. Okay, we'll we'll just play games then. But I don't want to use that term. God doesn't play games. You you can play games with God, but God's not just jacking with you. God's not just messing with you. God is for you. God wants to build you. He wants to mature you. He wants to make you strong. Can you go through what Paul did and say, I'm still content with God. You can beat me. You can stone me. You can shoot me. You can do whatever you want to do, but I'm going to keep doing what God's coming. That, that is a man of vision. That is a man of conviction. That is a man who knows what God, who God is in his life and what he wants to do, and he knows his purpose. Amen? You see, everybody, we love to read books on purpose. God, what's my purpose? But you know what? Purpose comes with pain. Purpose comes with trials. Purpose comes with tribulation. If you want to fulfill the destiny that God's called you to do, you've got to be content with God in any and all situations. But you need to learn to say, God, reveal to me, reveal to me what I need to see. Don't explain things away. Don't explain things away. What's going on? Well, it's just whatever. It is, no, it's not just what it is. God wants to do something in your life. And are you going to let Him? What's the Holy Spirit saying today? If you're angry, what, what good does it do you to be angry? Do you need to repent? Repent. Man, repentance is the sweetest thing. It is so sweet when it's given to you. And you say, thank you, God. Hmm. What does God want to do in your life? Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. How many of you have an answer? I just want to take a short time before we go. But listen, are you content? Are you content? Can you face tomorrow? Is all fear gone? If, you're not, if that's not your mentality like Paul here, amidst all the things in life, then we need to do a heart check and let the Holy Spirit heal us and touch us in our lives. How many of you want that today? Amen. Well, come as we all stand and sing. Just come. Dad, you got something? Yeah, real quick. Okay. God is good. Amen. Because you're going to spend the rest of your life facing
1: opposition. All the things Paul talks about is what a pastor faces every day, and not just a pastor, but a Christian that walks with God. Paul said right there in that word, God sent demonic forces to torment me. He said it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when they got when they got what they wanted, they didn't want what they got. And it says right here that when when Saul refused to hear God, listen to me, people. Yeah.
0: Are you trying to save me? God in your goodness I don't, I don't like it for me. I don't no. like. It. I don't like it. So
1: I've learned in my life when God slaps me down to stand up and say what? And listen. And be willing to hear what He's got to say. Amen. Because God ain't
0: we ate Amen. Amen. So, we should say this God, in your goodness, what do you want to tell me? <laughs> so, everybody stand, let's just sing a short sort song of worship. But whatever the Holy Spirit's putting in your heart today that you need to deal with, y'all come today to the altar.